read together. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, a sweet, sweet passage of Scripture. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, verse 2, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way or being of the same mind, having the same love, sharing the same feelings or united in spirit, focusing on one goal or purpose. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but instead, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Christ, uh, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage or grasp that. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, we pray that your name would be honored as holy tonight. You've told us in Psalm 1, happy is the man who meditates on your law day and night. He and she will be like a, like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. That's what we want to be, Father, in this church. That's what we want to be as members of this church, as Christians, as neighbors. We want to be trees with roots that go deep in your word. That drink up the water, the living water of your word. And bear fruit. And have leaves that don't wither in temptation. And in trial. And in pain. And in testing. So Father, would you fill our hearts. May the word of Christ dwell in us richly. May we... Set our mind on things above and not things of this earth. And we pray that through drinking of living water tonight from your word, by your spirit, looking at Jesus, that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next and that we would grow in humility, in servanthood, to the glory and honor of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Philippians 2 is a very familiar passage, particularly verses 5 through 11, talking about the humility and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. But I wanted to meditate on the, I wanted to start in verse 1 because there's really four things that, that Paul's getting at here, or three things if you like. The three things Paul's getting at here in verses 1 and 2, he tells us that we need to share life as a church. He's writing, and if you go to Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, we know the author is Paul, but who is he writing to in Philippians 1.1? 1, 1? To, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are where? In Philippi, including the what? Overseers and deacons. What is an overseer? Does anyone have another translation? Bishop. 
Bishop is the other translation in the King James Version. Yes, but a bishop... Now, do we have any bishops in our church? Well, it says bishops and deacons. So we could call Jim Bishop Jim and Bishop Al if you'd like. Archbishop Al, if you like. But um, no, that's the deacons. Who are the overseers or the bishops? Pastors. Pastor, elder, overseer in the New Testament. Those are three titles for the same office. Now, when you think bishop, you probably think of maybe that tall pointy hat and someone who's over a series of churches. That's what we would call an Episcopal setup. Roman Catholics have that setup. The Church of England has that setup. And that's not, that's not biblical bishops. That's not a biblical bishop. The Bible has pastor, elder, overseer, or bishop. It's all the same office And if I had time, I could show you the different passages where Paul just interchanges them. Peter interchanges them. Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to look at a few of those. Anyways, the point here is Paul is writing, Paul and Timothy are writing to all the saints at at Philippi, including the bishops and deacons, including the pastors and deacons. So in other words, he's writing to a local church. So this message of the book of Philippians is written to a local church. And in this church, there's a particular problem in Philippians chapter 4. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, you have two prominent women in the church. And um, I don't recommend you name your children this, but if that's fine if you do. My children have weird names as well, so I can understand. But Philippians 4, 2 says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to do what? To agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the workers. So, so there's these two prominent ladies in the church, and they are not in agreement. There's a sharp disagreement. And it's, it's not just private, it's public in the church now. There's sides being taken, perhaps. And so Paul, in his letter, is writing about the unity of the church in the midst of division. At least, it's not like a sharp division. There are The church at Corinth is sharp division. I am for Paul. I am for Apollos. I am for Peter. I am for Jesus. That's, that's, in, that's in Corinth. Philippi, Philippi is not that bad, but there are two prominent members of the church that are not agreeing. And it's quite telling that Paul would actually publicly call them out there in Philippians 4.2. All of that to say, Paul is about the unity of the church for the spread of the gospel. And if you want to know the main paragraph that is the summary of the message of Philippians, it's in chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. I'll read it for you now. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. It says this. Just one thing. Here's the one thing that I want you to do, Philippians. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 1, 27. Then whether I come and see you or am absent... I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So you're working for the faith. You're spreading faith in Jesus. Verse 28, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. They're being persecuted. Paul's writing this letter from jail, actually. So they know about persecution because this letter is coming from a man imprisoned. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them. For those who persecute, it's a sign that they're apart from Christ. But of your deliverance, it's a, you're, when you're in prison, that's a sign that you're a Christian. And this is from God, 
For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have while I'm in prison. You hear that I'm struggling. But his main command is in verse 27. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, with one mind, one spirit, working side by side, not to make a big church, not to become the most popular in the area, but for the faith of the gospel. So that people would come to believe in Jesus, and when they convert to being Christians, they would continue to believe in Jesus all the way until they die. That's what we work for as a church. And so the the unity of the church is found in the mission of the church to spread the gospel. And so when we get to Philippians chapter 2, which is what we're going to focus on now, this is a section that's coming right off of that command of living worthy of the gospel as a team, as a local church. So listen to, to um, there's three things here I want to point out. Share life, be humble, and embrace the mind of Christ. Those are the three things um, I want to put before you this evening. Share life together, be humble, and embrace the mind of Christ. Let's look at these one at a time. In verses 1 and 2, you have the, the thing of sharing life. We'll skip verse 1 first, and let's go to verse 2 to get the command, the first command. Verse 2 says, Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill my my joy by what? Thinking the same way or, um, yeah, thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Or yours might say having the same mindset, having the same love, being of one accord or united in spirit of one mind. Okay, the whole point though, however we parse up these four different things, the whole emphasis is what? Unity, right? Unity. One mind, one heart, one goal, one spirit. That's really the command. So so what he's telling us to do here is to share life together, to know each other so well that we share life and share Jesus to the world as we share life together. Now let's look at these one at a time in verse 2. Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way or by having the same mindset. Now, if we're all going to have the same mindset, everyone has a different opinion. And everyone is entitled to their own opinion, in a sense. But if we're all going to have the same mindset, how can we, different people, all have the same mindset? How can we get unity on what to think? What will be the referee to put us all on the same page? Jesus. And how do we know what Jesus is saying? The Bible, right? So if we're all going to have the same mindset, we have to have a single authority. Now, different churches debate what their main authority is. Our main authority is what? The Word of God, the Bible. If we're going to have the same mindset, we all have to submit our minds to the Bible. So not only the same mindset in verse 2, but also the same love. And what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the... Who? Lord your God, right? So if we're going to have the same love, then we shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second command is you shall love your neighbor... As you love yourself. And if you don't know who your neighbor is, think from Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. When, when, the, when the, they said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, let me tell you a story to let you know who your neighbor is. It's that guy who's beaten up and laying down on the other side of the street. That's your neighbor. Love him. Okay, so if we're going to have the same love, we need to love what God is telling us to love. Who God is telling us to love. Namely, God first. Above all, we need to love God with all that we are. But secondly, we need to love our neighbors 
as we love ourselves. If you want to throw another love command in there, John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. That's loving fellow Christians. But we don't get to choose between those three, God, neighbors, and fellow Christians. We need to love all of them, right? And if we're going to have the same love that's working together for the faith of the gospel, we need to all agree on who we're loving, which is God and neighbor and one another. Okay, so same love, but then you go in verse 2 further and it says, sharing the same feelings, that's what my translation says. Yours might say one accord or united in spirit. uh, So it's basically the same passion or the the same spirit, the same thing that drives them. Okay, same passion, same spirit. And that's guided. Your, your passion and your spirit or your feelings, what guides our emotions? Have you ever noticed how hard emotions are to control? It's not like controlling a thought. You can control a thought easier than you can c- control an emotion. In a, an emotion is your feelings. Is your, so if you're angry or you're happy, you can't just say, be sad. And then all of a sudden you're sad. Or if you're sad, you can't just say, I'm going to be happy right now. You can't, your emotions don't move that quick. But if I think, raise my right hand. See how easy that was? It's just, it's almost amazing to think you just, you know, we do it so often that we take it for granted, but that's easy to do. I can control that. Controlling your emotions and your feelings is a lot harder. It's like controlling a fire. You don't just grab a fire and move it wherever you want. You control fire with things around it, correct? Right? And so your emotions are sort of like a fire. But we all need to have the same feelings, the same spirit. But to control your emotions, you actually need to do these other things. The same mindset, the same love. And this last thing here in verse 2, focusing on one goal. Or yours might say one purpose or one mind, one intention. And what is the purpose for the church at Philippi? To strive side by side for the what? The faith of the gospel. Or to use... Jesus' words in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all ethnic people groups, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So that's the one goal of the church. It's to make disciples, obeying all of the New Testament through evangelism, assimilation, that's baptism and church membership, assimilating them into the church for discipleship, and then growth, you want to grow every new convert to be a mature Christian, and then deployment. Just like we deploy our military overseas, you deploy every member of your church to go make disciples. We're all deployed. And so that's the mission of the church. Evangelism, assimilation, growth, and deployment. And all of that is driven by faith in Christ. As someone believes in Christ, they're converted, they're assimilated and baptized and joining a church family, they're discipled in that church family, and they go out and love their neighbors and spread the gospel together. That's the mission. And we all need to have that same mind. And if you have the same goal, you have the same love, and you have the same mindset, your emotions will follow it. That's kind of fencing your emotions to go a certain direction. Now, it doesn't go right away. Remember, emotions are trickier, but but that's how, if you want to guard your emotions, feed your mind. Feed your love, feed your goal with truth. Okay, so that's the first thing is share life. That's what Paul wants them to do. And why does he want us to do this? In verse 2, here's why you should do this. If then there's any encouragement in Christ. Have you ever been encouraged by Jesus at all in your life ever? Is there any encouragement in Jesus? Yes. Is there anyone who's a greater encourager than Jesus? 
a greater sympathizer, a greater friend. No. You've been encouraged by Jesus. If there's any consolation in love, have you, have you ever been loved by Jesus? Have you, ever lo- have you ever been loved by another Christian? Have you ever been comforted by another Christian? Answer, Paul is assuming, is yes, you have, right? You've been, co- you've been encouraged by Jesus. You've been comforted by other Christians in love. Have you had any fellowship with the Spirit? Yes. Have you had any, what, have you had any affection and mercy and compassion expressed towards you? Yes. And if that's true, then share life together as a church family. Church of Philippi, Paul's writing to them. That's the first thing is share life. Secondly, be humble. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says... Do nothing out of rivalry. Yours might say selfishness or selfish ambition or strife. Do nothing out of strife or what? Conceit, vainglory, emptiness, pride. So in other words, Yodia and Syntyche and members of church at Philippi, members of the church here in Bellflower, what is, what, is, what is God telling us? What is Paul telling us? Don't do anything out of strife. Out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition, out of, out of um, conceit and, and putting yourself forward. Instead, what should you do in verse 3? But in humility or in lowliness of mind, consider others more important than yourself. I like what Romans 12 says. Romans 12, Paul tells us, outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that a great command? Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm going to honor you. Oh yeah, well I'm going to honor you even more. Well then I'm going to honor you even more. Oh yeah, well then I'm going to, I'm going to honor you even more. And you just outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Imagine a, the church at Rome doing that or the church in Philippi or the churches in Bellflower in L.A. County where they are striving to outdo one another in honor because they consider others of greater esteem than themselves. That's humility. And then it says in verse... Um, verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So just realize that it's not just about PJ. For me, I'm talking to myself now. It's not just about me. And for you, it's not just about you. But it's really about others as well. Now, to illustrate this point before we go to the third point, to illustrate this point briefly, I want you to go back to Philippians 1.27. Now, you might have a footnote in your Bible Raise your hand if you have a footnote in your Bible when it says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Does anyone have a footnote? Okay, I see two people, Zach and my mom. Um, either of you want to say what it says? Soul. Soul? Okay. Zach? Uh, only, behave as only be what, citizens? Only behave as citizens. Behave as citizens. That gets at the word. You know what polity is? Right, um, polity, politics. The word there is politicized. Now, it's not talking about elections and stuff like that. He's saying, live your life as a gospel citizen. That's why it says, only behave as citizens. In other words, what's Paul's main command to the church at Philippi? Live as a gospel citizen. Now, what does it mean to be a gospel citizen? That means you're of another city, right? You have another state. As we sang this morning, Jerusalem, my happy home. When shall I come to thee? When shall my sorrow have an end? Thy joys, when shall I see? That's my city. We are seeking a city that is to come. That's our citizenship. 
And so Paul is saying, work that way today as citizens of the gospel. Now, what does it mean to be a citizen? I looked, at, I looked up the dictionary, and here's... Let me give you two different definitions of citizenship. Citizenship is a status of a person recognized under custom or law as being a member of a state. So being a member of a state. A status or a fact of being a member of a state or group. Second definition here is the qualities that a person is expected to have as a responsible member of a community. And I think that's where we're getting the key to this command. Let me say the definition again. The qualities of a person that a person is expected to have as a responsible member of the community. If you're going to be a responsible member of the community, your citizenship, if you're going to be a good citizen, then you, you need to not only think about yourself, right? The very idea of citizenship is I'm part of a greater, I'm, I'm part of something greater than myself, my country, my state. And so to be a gospel citizen is to say, I'm not just going to live for myself, I'm going to live for all those citizens of the gospel, namely for all the Christians. And so, does that make sense? So now when you get to the command here in verse 4 of don't look out only for yourselves, but for the interests of others, that's just like saying, you know, if we talked about the United States of America or whatever country, put your country before your own personal interests. Or don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, right? And if you take that in a gospel sense, what Paul's saying is, don't, you know, don't ask what the, the citizens of the gospel can do for you, ask what you as a gospel citizen can do for the rest of the citizenship. That's the point. And I think if you read verses 1 through 4, that's what it's getting at. Share life with others so you have the same mind, same heart, same goal, same emotions. And humble yourself to think about them and the group more than, more than you personally. That's what gospel citizenship is all about. And that's the first two, that's the first four verses. And then he gives a greater illustration, which is always the main focus of this passage, verses 5 through 11. So there's another command in verse 5. What's that command in verse 5? Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. What does your translation say on that, verse 5? Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Let this be your mindset, your attitude. Okay, and that's why I say embrace the mindset of Christ. Now, to break up this section, verses 6 through 11, I'm, we're not gonna, this is a lot of theology here. We could take a long time on this passage, but I'm going to try to do it in, you know, eight minutes and then be done with it. So let me see if I could keep it here. But let me give you three ways of understanding 6 through 11. Three easy words. Divinity, humility, victory. Divinity, humility, victory. Verse 6. This is divinity. Look at verse 6. This is Jesus, and he existed in the form of who? God. But he did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He wasn't just thinking selfishly about himself. Even though he is fully God. John 1.1 1, 1 says that he, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2 says. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him. And apart from him was not anything made that has been made. That's just a negative way of saying every single thing that exists, exists because of Jesus. And if Jesus wasn't here, didn't do it, it doesn't exist. Everything was created by him. He is the creator. He is God. Divinity. There's no greater exaltation than to be God. To be God means, it, it, it means you're supreme. If you ask my son and maybe my daughter... 
well, what is God? You can try it with my son, see if, see if he'll answer you. What is God? We, we're doing this Baptist catechism. I, didn't, I don't know if you knew that Baptists had catechisms historically. They have several catechisms. But that's one way you teach your children theology. So if you ask my son, what is God? He will say, if he gets the answer right, God is a spirit, triune, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's who God is. That's what he is. And Jesus was God, is God. He's God. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That was the Son of God. That is the Son of God. Divinity. And yet, look at verse 7 and 8. What happens? Humility. What's the humility in verses 7 and 8? Instead, he emptied himself. He's God, and he empties himself by assuming the form of a what? Slave. Well, mine says slave. Your translation says servant, most likely. Taking the form of a slave. That means no rights, completely at the will and service of another. He takes the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. He takes on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form. So he became a man. Or John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. That's, that's the same thing. The word became flesh. Jesus, fully God, God fully God, became a full human at the same time as staying fully God. So now Jesus is fully God fully man in one person. All the power of the universe in a little baby. Imagine the little baby. Adoniah, uh, our youngest part of our church family these days, right? Uh, at least that are born because my wife's pregnant with another one. But um, Adoniah is celebrating her one month, um, I think on Tuesday or something. So she's going to be one month on Tuesday. Imagine when Jesus was that small. If you've seen Adoniah, little, little thing, right? Imagine Jesus that small, the creator of the universe, in your arms crying because he needs milk. Wow, that's humility. That's no concern for selfishness and self-exaltation. That's humility. And that's the mindset of Christ. But it goes further than just incarnation. It goes further than just becoming a human. Look at verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to what? To the point of death, even death on a... Cross. Just when you think you couldn't get any more humble by becoming a human. You, in your sinless life of 34, 35 years, however old Jesus lived. I know people say 33. It's a little bit older than that, most likely. Um, all the years you live perfectly without sin, and you're going to subject yourself to King Herod, who we learned about this morning, and to Pontius Pilate, and to your religious enemies, and let them beat you, and slap you, and spit at you, and whip you, and mock you, and shame you, and hang you naked on a cross for three hours from 9 to 12 in light as they make fun of him and say, take yourself down from the cross. All these miracles you did, you can't take yourself down from the cross? Come on, you're supposed to be the Messiah, right? The king? You think you're the king? So much for your kingdom. You're hanging on a cross naked. Not like the pictures. You're hanging there naked in full shame. That's humility. This is the creator of the universe who's never sinned. He made us. He made them. The very breath that they're using to mock him is given by him as they're mocking him. Isn't that amazing? The humility of the Son of God that he would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross for our sins. 
He died for our sins. He rose from the dead, but he's dying for our sins when he didn't have to die. He didn't have to die, but in his humility, he did. And that is humility. That's, that's the blessing. That's, that's the mindset we have. And, and so you have divinity, divinity, humility on the cross, incarnation of the cross. And then you go back to verses 9 through 11, exaltation or victory. What's the victory in verse 9? For this reason, because of his humility, because of his incarnation, because of his death, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see, he's highly exalted. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sat on the throne. And he is judge and king of the world. And everyone who mocks Jesus today and doesn't repent and trust in Jesus will have to face him as their judge. And if Christ didn't come to save us, we would have to face him as our judge as well. Praise the Lord that he became our advocate by dying on the cross for our sins. But we will gladly bow the knee to him, right? Even today, we gladly bow the knee to Jesus as Christians. If you're not a Christian here, I want to encourage you even this morning, this evening to bow the knee to Jesus. Because one day, you will bow the knee to Jesus. Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. That's what it says. Those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Even Satan will bow the knee to Jesus. Now, they're not going to like it. The unrepentant won't like it. They'll bow down with a grudge in their heart and with bitterness, but they will bow. Everyone will bow because Jesus Christ is Lord, the one who humbled himself and the one God highly exalted. And so I want to urge you and encourage you, if you're not a Christian, the gospel is that God came and made, God made you. You're accountable to him. You're a sinner like we're all sinners. You're in a room full of sinners. And we are guilty and we deserve God's judgment and wrath. But God sent his son Jesus into the world. Humbled him, he humbled himself. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. So that if you would repent from your sins and trust in Jesus, he will give you forgiveness and life and give you his Holy Spirit who will begin to transform you here and forever. That's God's offer to you. So I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to trust in Jesus tonight. And what happens when Jesus humbled himself? What did, it, what's, what, did it all, what did it all end up with at the end of verse 11? Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the what? To the glory of who? Of God the Father. Isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day? That's what it's all about. The glory of God the Father. We want to glorify God the Father. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so Jesus lived for the glory of God. And so... As we close, this is how we're going to apply this in our own lives. First, we need to be grateful that Jesus died for us and rose for us. We need to let his mindset and his work, his death and resurrection, encourage us and empower us to humble service. We need to let him rebuke us. I think everyone here, even the best of us, and I could, I think, just looking at all of you here, okay, except for Zach, because I don't know Zach yet, um, but everyone else here, um, I could point, I think, I could name specific ways that you have served other people. I can. I could look at each one of you and say, here's how I could, I've seen in your life over the last few months I've known you, where you have humbled yourself and served others to the glory of God. 
And yet, I could also say that, I, I can't say this because I can't read your heart on this side, but all of us could raise our hands and admit that there's some parts of our heart that we're still not servant-like, right? We can all admit there's parts where we still need to grow. And so I want us to, one, be encouraged that God's Spirit's working in our church family, but at the same time, I want us to be challenged as we close and say, Lord, show me where I'm still not servant-hearted. Help me to have the mind of Christ and help us as a church family to have the mind of Christ so that our neighbors and family and friends would repent from their sins and trust in Jesus. Help us to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can meditate on your word. We thank you, most importantly, that Jesus, who was fully divine, humbled himself. Became a man, became a baby, and then became a man. And he didn't have to. And then he died on the cross for our sins, bearing your wrath and judgment for us. What humility. What exaltation. Father, we know that if we humble ourselves and serve others, we will have eternal heavenly reward. We too will be exalted. You've told us in your word, humble yourselves in the sight of God and you will exalt us in due season. So Father, help us to not try to seek exaltation here on earth in 2015. May we all die to self-exaltation. May we all live for humble service and may we know that in the end, In heaven, we will be exalted, and we will be exalted in such a way that we'll exalt you even more. And that's what we want. So, Father, take away a defensive spirit in each one of us and give us a spirit that wants to grow and serve. We thank you for the spirit that's already here that wants to grow and serve. We just pray that you would increase it. We love you, and we thank you for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.